The Critically Human channel explores the human experience around the world and throughout time, with topics that range from the search for beauty to the quest for power, featuring concerts, interviews, lectures, and cutting-edge research projects. Visit uctv.tv slash criticallyhuman. First of all, I wanted to say uh, thank you for having me here today, and thank you for listening to this um, before COVID-19 happened, I think few would argue against this, but parental leave and the discussion about having a, a federal parental leave was one of the top policy agenda items. Now I think it's moved way down, unfortunately, because we now have the concern about COVID-19. And this has been discussed over many decades about whether it would be useful to have a fe federal parental leave policy, uh, but we still don't have one. And one of the reasons why I'd argue that we might not have one is because there's worries about the cost of parental leave in, particularly, in particular to firms and coworkers. And when I speak about parental leave, because I know some of you might not be familiar with what I mean by parental leave, but I wanna be specific about what parental leave is, I'm talking about um, a benefit which has two components. One is you're allowed to be absent from work for an extended period of time due to taking care of a child. So it might be a newborn. Um, and then while you're absent from work that you have your wages paid for. So there's some income replacement when you're absent from work. Um, and so when you think about this from the firm's perspective, you might say, oh, this would be very costly to firms because of two things. One is you might think, oh, firms have to pay these the wages of the workers when they're absent. Well, I'm gonna say that that's usually not the case, that these are funded by government programs. So the real cost of firms is trying to replace the lost labor of an absent worker. And I'm gonna be talking about this in the context of Denmark where there is established parental leave. There's been parental leave uh, in their um, country since the 1970s. And it, this is sort of the justification for this uh, very international set of co-authors here. And to see why parental leave might be really important in talking about um, in, the, in terms of the policy agenda and why it might be useful to encourage female labor force participation, I think it's useful to see a few statistics on the matter. So first of all, I'm going to start off with uh, these this graph of female labor force participation across nine different countries in the developed world. And, and on the x-axis here is just time. So starting in 1970 and going to 2016. And on the y-axis here, the vertical axis is just the rate of female labor force participation. And what's clear across these nine different countries is that there's been a dramatic increase in female labor force participation. So in countries like Sweden, it was just over 50% in 1970, and by 2016, it's up to 70%. And in some countries, it's been more dramatic, like Spain, where it was less than 30% and is now uh, over 50%. And the rates of increase have been different across these countries, and the rate some countries have uh, seen slowing of the growth, like in Sweden, it's been relatively stagnant since the 1990s. Um, despite this 
rise in female labor force participation, there's also this interesting set of statistics showing what happens around the time of childbearing for women. And so this is from another study, not my own work, uh, looking at the path of employment following the birth of a first child in the United Kingdom. And so just let me describe how this graph works. Uh, along this horizontal axis is just years relative to the birth of a first child. So this would be, this negative five means five years before the birth of a first child. Zero would be the year of the birth and five would be the year after. What you see is that consistent with the graphs that I showed, the graph I showed earlier, is that there are high rates of female labor force participation. Um, almost all the women in this sample are participating in the labor force. It, over here, it's about 90%. And what you see is that there's a high rates of labor force participation before the birth. Then there's not surprisingly a drop at the time of the birth um, to roughly about 40%. But the surprising thing here, I think, to a lot of people is that it continues to be depressed. So meaning that rates of labor force participation amongst women are lower after the birth, permanently lower after the birth of the first child. So one thing, a couple of questions emerge related to these statistics that I'm showing. What precipitated the growth in female labor force participation? What sustained the increase? How is future female labor force participation growth encouraged? Why does female labor force participation drop after childbirth? How can this drop be mitigated? And I think one of the things that's important going on in the background is that the female friendliness of the labor market might have encouraged some growth of this, but maybe encouraging more female friend, family friendliness of the labor market might encourage more growth. And so one of the things that's at the top of the policy agenda in regards to female family, I said family friendliness is the use of paid parental leave where employees are allowed to take off work and receive income for lost wages. These policies are incredibly popular. There was a poll a couple of years ago saying that 74% of the respondents in the US supported 12 weeks of parental leave, but yet we have no parental leave. And so you might say, well, why if, uh, the population is uh, desires to have parental leave, why don't we have it? And one could argue that there's been pushback from the private sector in regards to these policies. So firms might worry about the costs associated with parental leave because if a worker is absent for an extended amount of time, that might be that might cut into profits. We often hear this discussion in regards to the Affordable Care Act, that it's a jobs killer, that extra costs for firms uh, um, uh, result in uh, firms not surviving. You could say the same thing uh, here is that firms would really worry about a worker being absent and that affecting their bottom line. Um, you see this in the public rhetoric. Uh, former California Governor Jerry Brown kind of flip-flopped on this issue of whether he should require firms with 20 to 50 employees to provide some sort of paid family leave. Um, and one in, when he was objecting to such policy, he mentioned that he was worried about the effects on small businesses and whether it would affect their survival. 
So as I mentioned, uh, to start, you can think about two associated costs with parental leave. One is that if you thought that firms paid the wage replacement, that it was firms were required, if, if um, I received $1,000 uh, as a family leave benefit, that the firm would pay that $1,000 in general across most countries, that isn't the case, that it's paid by, through the tax system. So that I wouldn't call that a firm cost. So I don't think that's necessarily the worry that firms have. Uh, instead, it's the worry that they won't be able to find someone to replace the absent worker. And so then that will affect their bottom line. So the question I'm gonna be asking today and trying to answer is what happens to a firm when a female employee gives birth and goes on leave? And I think this is important because of direct policy interest that we're interested in understanding the cost of parental leave. And so far, the discussion of the cost benefit of parental leave focuses a lot of the, on the benefits of leave. So the fact that we might see um, improvements in child development, more flexibility to parents in terms of uh, being in and out of the labor market. Uh, but it misses the cost to firms through trying because they might have to replace the absent worker. And more generally, I think this question is interesting because we're asking a question of what, what are the effects of an anticipated absence? Firms all the time have workers absent from their firms. Uh, we see this with COVID-19 that some people get sick and they have to be absent from work for extended periods of time. And so we kind of want to know what, what's the effect on firms of absences. And in this case, it's, it's a kind of a different absence than maybe a COVID-19 absence because it's anticipated because a woman is, is informed, um, forced to tell the firm when she's absent from work. All right, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna do what's called a dynamic difference and difference design. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with that, um, I'm gonna explain it. I'm not going to use equations, don't worry. Um, but the basic idea is we're gonna take firms that experience a birth and we're gonna compare that to firms that don't experience a birth. And we're gonna follow those firms over time. And we're gonna do this in context of Denmark in the period 2001 to 2013. And we're gonna focus on small firms with 30 to three to 30 workers, because those are the firms where the cost of a worker being absent from the firm might be particularly costly. For instance, a work, one worker being absent on parental leave from a firm of 30 people might be very different than one being absent in a firm of 3000 people. So that's one reason to focus. It also is because I think this is rightfully so the, the set of firms that are most relevant for the policy discussion, whether there's a cost of, on firms. So if there's a cost to firms, we'd expect to see it more in small firms than in bigger firms. So to give you a sense of how parental leave works in Denmark, you're eligible if you're in the labor force. So all essentially all employees are eligible. And then the leave is in different uh, components. So a woman is a, um, eligible for prenatal leave of four weeks. Uh, then there's a postnatal period where she receives 14 weeks of leave and the father 
receives two weeks of leave. And then there's this, what we're, what we call postnatal leave two, where there's 32 weeks, which can be used by the mother or father. Um, and in practice, basically the, the mother takes all of the leaves. So it amounts to on average that um, women are taking about nine and a half months of leave. So just to be clear, and I think that, uh, since Rowena asked about comparisons to the US is um, this is a much longer uh, parental leave policy than what has been discussed in the US. The discussions about in the US are roughly about 12 weeks of leave. Um, this is considerably less than, this considerably more than that. Uh, so there's two components to parental leave in Denmark. One is an employment protection that you can have the job that you when you left, you had, so when you return from parental leave, then you can have your pre-birth job. And then the second is an income transfer program that your wages are replaced by um, essentially the government. So uh, while you're on leave, firms cannot uh, terminate you. They could, they could terminate you in the case of some severe economic downturn, like a plant closure, but in most cases, you're just able to return to the position that you were occupying before the leave, before the birth happened. Uh, workers leave uh, are eligible for um, this income transfer to replace the wages they had from working through the unemployment insurance uh, system, and this is about three thousand U.S. dollars a month. And I mentioned this earlier, but Basically, the way it works is if I receive $3,000 in paid leave benefits, that would be paid by the firm, but that $3,000 would be reimbursed by the government. So we think about paid leave being fully reimbursed by the, for the firm, so they're not paying for the leave. The only cost to them is the absence of the worker. So just to give you a sense of what Denmark is like, um, to give you comparisons to other countries, uh, there's a high rate of female labor force participation. Um, the female employment to population ratio is 72. Um, there's also a substantial gender pay gap. Uh, this is 16.5% um, pay gap between men and women. Um, and then it's known for kind of an unusual European, unusual for Europe, where there's low unemployment uh, protection. So there's low uh, employment protection and there's high turnover and mobility, much like the US then rather than the rest of continental Europe. So let's just simply think about what the effects to a firm of parental leave might be. So in the simple unrealistic world, which economists, seem to always start with, even though it's incredibly unrealistic, is that a worker is absent from a firm and there's an idle worker waiting to take that person's position immediately. And there's no cost in finding that person and it wouldn't, this, the firm would not incur any cost of trying to replace the worker. But we all know that when a worker goes on leave, it's often hard to replace them. Even if you can replacement, replace them, you have to search for the worker. So there could be this cost of finding a good replacement 
there could be this lag in trying to find a good replacement. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the data that we're using, which is really cool. Uh, Scandinavian data is incredibly, uh, has a wealth of information that we don't have in a country like the US. So essentially, the um, Statistical Agency of Denmark has a comprehensive set of data across many different entities. So they have information on labor force participation, what firm you worked at, how long you've worked at that firm, uh, your educational history, how many kids you had, what their names are, whether those kids had kids. Um, they also have information on how many leave days you took and so forth. So there's, it's essentially this merger of labor force participation data, uh, educational data that really helps this type of study that it would be very hard to do such a study in the United States. And one of the cool things about this data in addition is we also have information on firms and this is through a tax identifier and so the tax identifier is used uh, for value added taxes which are used in Europe um, and we're going to focus only on private firms because uh, it's e the output of public firms is hard to quantify because profits don't make much sense. So the research design and how I'm going to do this research uh, I'm going to give you a brief overview and then go in for a few few details. Um, I'm going to asking the question: What is the effect of a female worker giving birth on the firm and coworkers at that firm in an environment with pre-established leave? So uh, we're looking in this environment where women take, on average, nine and a half months of leave. And so to do this, we're going to identify what we call treatment events. There are instances where a woman gives birth. And then we have, similarly, we have control events where a woman doesn't give birth. And then because the treatment events might be overpopulated with women who are more likely to have more kids uh, than control events, we're going to try to make these treatment events and control events more similar. And then we're going to, we're doing this through a matching procedure. And then we're going to follow the evolution of these matched treatment and control events over time this is what we call a difference in difference. And it rests on sort of the treatment firms and the control firms following the same path, the same trends uh, before the birth, which is something we're going to look at to test the validity of this type of design. And then what we expect to see if there's an effect that the treatment of firms will look different than the control firms at the time of the birth. So just to give you a sense of how we define these treatment events, we're gonna find all instances in the data that look like this, where we have this timeline at some year, I'm gonna call it T minus two, a woman is at this firm. And then the next year she has no birth, T minus one. Uh, and then the following year she has a birth. And then the following year she has no birth. So we can be clear that there's like one treatment, one birth. And this is this T period T is what we're calling uh, the event year. And then we're going to call the treated firm is the firm she's at at T minus two because uh, people may sort into different firms knowing that they're going to have a birth. And so we want to sort of uh, 
remove that from the analysis. So we're going to focus on looking at the firm. Our fir our treated firms are going to be the ones that the woman was employed two years before the birth. And similarly, we look at control events. So we look at all instances in our data where the following pattern happens. Essentially, a woman has no birth for three years in a row. And then again, we're going to call um, this in, in the beginning, this beginning uh, data point, we're going to call that the baseline year. So um, as I mentioned earlier, these treatment and control events by themselves might not be com comparable because treatment events might be overrepresented by high fertility firms where women are giving birth frequently. Uh, control events are likely to be overrepresented by low fertility firms. So we match treatment and control events based on um, a couple of different characteristics. So we'd be comparing within uh, cell, essentially cells based on these characteristics. So um, cells that are defined by having the exact same age, earnings, education, and so forth. So the, the matching things, the things we match on, the variables we match on are age, earnings, education, time at the firm, fertility history, and then we match also on firm characteristics like size, total sales, share of female employees, and number of children per employee. To give you a sense of what the data looks like, so one thing to note, you, you, the, the number of observations here is much less than the total population or the number of firms in Denmark. And part of the reason why is that we're focusing on small firms and we're focusing on private sector firms. So we end up with um, you know, only a fraction of the total firms in uh, Denmark. So one thing to note is that these firms where our restriction is that the, the number of employees was between three and 30. On average, they have just under 13 employees and they're hiring, this, uh, this kind of surprises me, is that the new hires, the number of people they're hiring each, quite so three out of, uh, almost four out of 13 is a lot of people. So there's kind of quite a bit of turnover overall. And then in these firms, there's a high fraction of women in their firm. So the work to share, the fraction of women in the firm is like 60, almost 65%. So I'm gonna talk about the effects uh, of this leave, of, uh, this woman giving birth at these treatment of firms and when we compare it to the control firms. And I'm gonna show this in a, a bunch of series of graphs and we're gonna look at uh, effects on births and leave, the, the number of workers at the firm, the cost of those workers and some firm performance measures like profit. So here, I'm going to describe this graph because this is the format of the graphs that I'm going to show for the rest of the presentation. So uh, this graph is demonstrating the difference between the treatment and control firms different points of time relative to the birth. So the negatives represent before the birth. The zero is the year of the birth. Uh, one is the year after and two is the two years after. And I want you to focus mainly on these lines, these solid lines. The dashed um, parts of these lines represent confidence intervals. Uh, so what precision do we have to uh, reject certain hypotheses? 
And so this, and, and for this particular graph, we're looking at the leave days at the firm. So here, again, we're looking at the difference between the control and treatment of uh, firms at different points of time. And so here we're looking at the uh, do the treatment firms have more leave days at the firm than control firms. That's essentially what we're saying here. Um, for First of all, for our design to be what I would call valid, we'd want the treatment and control firms to look similar before the birth happens. And so what you can see is that there's very small differences between the treatment and control firms over here. And that's, that says, well, maybe the treatment and control firms are good comparisons. That what we're identifying is the effect of a worker going on leave rather than some other characteristic that might differ between treatment and control firms. And so what you see as, as we'd expect is that there are, um, in, the, in the year of the birth, there's an elevated number of leave days at the firm for the treated firms relative to control firms. And that's approximately, um, uh, what would I say? Uh, like uh, just under 140 days. Um, it's still elevated in the year after this. This is the reason why it's, you, you might say, well, there's nine months of leave. So why is it elevated uh, one year after the birth? These are all in calendar years. So a woman giving birth in November, she would contribute to this uh, year here, this would be November of the year she gave birth, but then this would be the year after she gave birth because her leave period would extend into the next year. But if you combine these uh, two estimates together, it shows you that basically uh, that the extra, the, the worker is absent for approximately nine months. And if you quantify these effects, it's equivalent to about a half of a full-time equivalent employee. This is a reduction of five total hours relative to baseline. So this is saying, this is a big shock to the labor supply at this firm. And that shock size is about 5%. So then we might be interested in what happens at the firm. How does the firm respond? Do they hire more employees? Yes, they do. So when we look at number of employees, we see that there's a rise in the number of employees and the, at the year of the birth. And um, so I should say this, this count of number of employees includes the worker on leave. Um, and when you quantify the effect of one female worker giving birth, the number of employees increases, including the, this includes the worker on leave by about 7.3%, which is just under one worker. And just to remind you that we're also keeping a good eye over here that we want these treatment and control firms to be very similar. And we don't see that before the birth happens that these treatment and control firms are much different. So then when we look at, so number of employees, this number of employees, it, it could be affected by two things. One is hiring of workers, and the second is retention of existing workers. So now we look at the hiring of workers, and we see that firms hire more workers in, in the year that the woman gives birth and goes on leave. Uh, new hires increased by 0.35 in the event year, 
This is less than the increase um, in uh, total number of employees. So part, partly what's happening is firms are retaining workers more and also hiring more workers. Um, and then you can look at one another way that firms could adapt to this worker being on leave is asking coworkers to work more hours. And what you see is that there's a slight effect on coworker hours in in the time uh, the time of the birth. Uh, you don't see much effect out to one year or two years after the birth. And again, the treatment and control firms look very similar before the birth happens, meaning that you might think that this effect that we're observing here is the effect of the leave, not something else that might be different between treatment and control firms. Then you can look at the total wage bill. So, so far I've shown you that, that a worker giving birth incurs a loss of labor due to that worker being absent. The, um, the firms hire more worker and retain existing employees and coworkers work more hours you might want to ask yourself, like, does that cost the firm any more money because they have more workers um, on their roles? So here we look at that, and you see that there's an increase in the total wage bill in the year of the birth, not much effect one and two years afterwards. Again, these treatment and control firms look very similar before the birth happens, and um, the problem with looking at this statistic is this includes the payment of the leave benefits, because if you recall, I said that the firms pay the benefits and then are later reimbursed by the government. So if you take out the leave benefits in this other graph, you actually see interestingly that wage costs go down in the year that um, the woman gives birth. Uh, although the F, uh, the result isn't statistically different from zero. So essentially what I would conclude is that there doesn't seem to be an effect on the total wage bill, even though these firms are hiring more workers and workers are working more hours. You might also ask whether the coworkers are earning more for the extra hours that they're working. And you see a slight effect on coworker earnings that these workers are earning more when the workers on leave, this is uh, approximately 1.1% in the event year. Now we can look at the effects on firms. The detecting effects on firms is much harder because the data is a lot noisier. Um, but as you, saw, you will see, we don't find effects here either. So if we look at total sales, this essentially looks like quite a flat line that there seems to be no effect on total sales of a worker um, giving birth and going on leave. And then if you look at firm survival, another outcome. So this is like whether we're, we're measuring this in terms of whether they have non-zero sales. We generally um, economists um, think of a firm that's not surviving as being uh, a firm that has uh, no sales. And then, um, so we don't see effects on on these uh, total sales or firm survival. We've also looked at the results across different types of firms. So two, two, two types of firms that you might be particularly interested in is 
firms uh, differentiated by firm size. So we're looking at small firms to begin with three to 30 workers, but there's could be heterogeneity in the effects across the, that group. Uh, we, to the best we can gather, we didn't find much uh, effects amongst the smaller firms in that category versus the larger firms in that category. And then um, we also looked at whether there were differential effects whether the worker who uh, gives birth and goes on leave has a coworker in the same occupation. So the idea being, if I am an accountant and I'm the only accountant at my firm, then it might be hard for a coworker to step in when I'm on leave and take over my duties. Um, so when you, when you look at this sample, it's actually quite a small sample. So only 10% of the firms in the sample have what we call no replacement, that they have no other coworker in the same occupation. One thing we, we, we found a couple of interesting findings. One is not surprisingly in no replacement firms, the woman takes fewer days of leave. So if you're in a firm where there's no one to replace you, there might be pressure internally to you to shorten your leave uh, because they're worried about being able to uh, do the work while you're gone. Um, these firms also seem to be less successful at replacing their workers. They end up with lower wage bills um, slightly. And when we look at the firm level outcomes that we've looked at, like sales and um, survival, it's a little less clear because we're um, the results were noisy for this full sample. And now when you have 10% of that full sample, the results are even more noisy. But there's no obvious uh, effect on those firm level outcomes as best we can measure. So just to conclude, uh, thank you for listening. And I look forward to hearing your comments and suggestions and uh, other ideas. Um, as best we can measure, at least overall, it doesn't seem like parental leaves are that costly to firms, that firms are really well able to adapt. Um, but for the small selection of firms without a substitute worker for the worker on leave, it may be costly. Uh, looking at our results relative to other um, papers looking at worker absence, like there's a recent paper looking at the death of a worker at a firm and how do firms respond. We think that um, you can sort of synthesize the results of this literature into sort of three different components of thinking about how there might be different effects across different um, these different studies. So I, we think that the effects of worker uh, absence might be likely dependent on the availability of different substitutes. If, if there's not another worker doing the same task at your firm, it may be hard to substitute for the absent worker. Um, it might, the effects of worker absent might be dependent on whether that absence then leads to the worker exiting the firm. So we know from um, other countries where the leave, where there's been extensions of leave, so extensions from nine months to 12 months, that that increases turnover. And those, the extension from nine to 12 months tends to lead to more turnover at the firm. And so it leads to the uh, effects being more costly uh, for firms. And then the third component uh, of thinking about the effects of worker absence or to think about whether the absence is anticipated because of that, if it's anticipated, then firms may be able to adjust beforehand and um, the 
the cost of the absence might be less as opposed to if a worker dies unexpectedly, then um, it's much harder to then find a replacement. So thank you so much. 